Welcome to Out of the Box with Christine, the podcast for conscious folk. I am your host, Christine Blasdale. This program is intended to bring you a fresh perspective on this thing we call life. And in each and every episode, we're going to dive into the topics that matter most with lively conversations on issues such as business, health, wealth, love, and transformational healing, all with the goal of creating a better world and becoming a happier human being. I will be your tour guide on this epic adventure, and as we embark on this journey, our ultimate goal is going to be one of transformation to our highest potential. And now, let's get out of the box. everyone. Welcome back to Out of the Box with Christine. I am your host, Christine Blasdale, and I am so excited about today's show. I I have been waiting patiently to get this wonderful woman on the air with me, and I am very honored to have joining me today, Sylvia Anthony, who is truly a golden girl at 91 years young. And if you're watching this on YouTube, I can't believe it, Sylvia. Um, Sylvia remains steadfastly involved with her passion project, Sylvia's Haven, which is a Boston area shelter for homeless women and children that she launched back in 1987. And Sylvia herself has endured a very difficult childhood that included an abusive father and disinterested mother. She married young and remained in an abusive marriage until a divorce that left her alone to support her three children. I just got chills on that, Sylvia. She felt a calling to help young women, and that's exactly what she did. Initially designed for homeless pregnant women, her shelter opened in January 25th of 1987, and she has written and shared her story. She's And she shared her story and written about her life in a book called Till the End of Time. And we're going to hear more about that book. And I am just, I'm going to jump right into it because Sylvia Anthony, I am just so honored to have you on the show. Welcome to Out of the Box with Christine. Now, let me tell you something. It's a pleasure meeting you. And I am thrilled to be here. I really am. Well, you have had a remarkable life, and I'd like to let our listeners know a little bit about, I I read there in the introduction that you had quite a difficult childhood, and being a child also of an abusive father, um, an alcoholic, I I can feel you on a lot of levels. Being a child and being raised in in that kind of environment is very, very difficult. Can you let our listeners know a little bit about your upbringing and specifically, were you born in in Boston? I was born directly in the city of Boston. And I think you'll know where Logan Airport is or have you ever heard of it? Yes. I lived, I was born about a half a mile away from there. So we'd see the planes come over and all the rest of it. (laughs) As far as my childhood was concerned, Yes, I had a very abusive father and a mother that wasn't taking, wasn't interested, only because they conceived me out of wedlock. They married before I got was born, but they conceived me out of wedlock. And they were two young kids. They were 18 and 19 years old. They were, they were not looking for to raise a family at that age. Right. But 
the parents practically gave him a shotgun wedding. I mean, they insisted they marry. So they, they married, but against their wishes. So every time they looked at me, I was a thing that brought all the trouble to them, as far as they were concerned, my whole life. Mm. So it was that, but God was good. He, they, it was the depression, just a couple of weeks before the depression, the big one of 1929. And uh, my mother had to go to work. My father had, wasn't working, or not even for money. He was an apprentice working for nothing to learn the shoe repair business. But my mother uh, had to go to work and she left me with my granddaughter. I mean, my grandmother. And she said to my grandmother, here, you take her. Your son got me into this. How was but, grandma? How was grandma? <laughs> but listen, grandma only had, had five boys, no girls. I was the first girl in the family. Grandma treated me beautiful. And I was with her for the first five years. And my uncles treated me beautiful because now there was a girl in the family. And I, you know, God really made up for everything. And he's watched me ever since. You know, I had um, this a, a similar background where my grandmother, I just, I just felt my grandmother all around me. My grandma Dorothy was, I mean, she, I was the light in her life, you know, and so having that beautiful presence and someone who loves, unconditionally loves you is so important. And then I can see that that is something that is embodied within you as well. Now, yeah. this, this whole thing that you've done with Sylvia's Haven, now I understand it's something, it's like over a thousand women and children that you've helped? Over 1,100. And that's not counting. I've been doing this for 33 years. This isn't talking about residuals, like uh, girls that were bar uh, pregnant and when I first started 33 years ago and how their children grew up and how they were born in my place. I have one that's now a lawyer, you know, it, and uh, they followed me through and whatnot. And it's such a... It's such a blessing. I love it. It's what keeps me going. Well, what what sparked you to do something like that? To, was that something that you saw was was a need in the community? And there was something within no. you that said, I need to do this? Or you just kind of fell into it? No, this is it. Uh, oh, boy. Look how busy she is. <laughs> Everybody wants to talk to you, Sylvia. Yeah, right. Okay, I'm going to stop in a while. Now. That's okay. It's okay? All right. So, this is it. I once uh, and I had a bad marriage, as you know. Yeah. Well, I finally divorced at 12 and, uh, years later. Well, when I divorced, after all, I had to bring up my children myself. I had a mortgage, three kids, and I did it. I did it, but I got married 10 years after the divorce. I went looking for a job and the personnel manager be that gave me the job became my husband. <laughs> so that was nice. So it was a nice marriage. It was a very good marriage, but 
I was so used to bringing up children and working too, that now my kids were grown. My daughter was 21 years old. She was married. The youngest was 16 and in high school. So I felt a void. I had no kids to bring up anymore. You know, I, I worked, yeah, but I, and I really and honestly believe it was God saying to me, start a shelter. And I didn't know what in the world kind of a shelter it was. All I knew was that it was start a shelter. So at first I was 40 years old. I thought it was for, uh, for, for elderly people like myself now, keep them active when they're old and, and yes. give them a, a life that they can enjoy. And that went by the board. Then I felt like, well, maybe it's for hard to place often. Kids that are seven, eight years old that nobody wants. And that went by the board. But then my husband died of cancer and he was terminally ill. And he was very religious at the time. He turned very religious and he was watching TV and he saw a, a minister in our in, in America, very well known, called Jerry Falwell. Mm -hmm. So I was in the kitchen washing dishes and he called me over, Sylvia, Sylvia, come here. And I went in and he says, look at the screen. So I looked and there was Jerry Falwell. Jerry Falwell was saying he's getting up in age that there were two, then two million babies be, being aborted each year. So he had a shelter for homeless women and children so that uh, women, so that they won't abort their baby. So he says, look, I put together a save a baby syllabus. It's a manual to tell you how to run a, a shelter like I am. I'll give you a free <laughs> time if, you will, if you're interested. And I says, that's what it is. And sure enough, we sent away for it. And my husband, sick as he was, he had been gone to college for marketing, public relations, and um, advertising. He started getting on the phone and networking. He got a lawyer to uh, stop the um, articles of incorporation, get me incorporated with the state of uh, Massachusetts, and started the nonprofit status. So now the foundation was built. Like you said, we started January 25th, 1987. Rick, my husband, died March 30th, but the foundation was laid. And the last wow. two things he says was, go get the girls and don't worry, I'll take care of you. And that's how it happened. Wow. And do you remember the first uh, woman that came in, the first girl that came in to your Yeah, we had, yeah, go ahead. No, I was just uh, was we, curious, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we had gone to a place called Pregnancy Help, and they were taking, they were getting girls who were pregnant and talking them out of abortions and placing them into homes or something, you know? So we went there and I, we said, this is what we're going to do. And she says, all right, when you're ready, give me a call, you know? So when I had a pity party for about a month feeling sorry for myself, but then I said, no, nah, I better, he said, go get the girls. So I went over to pregnancy help and I says, I'm ready. No more than two weeks later, I get a call from her. I got a 17 year old girl who is pregnant. She's at the police station in Revere, Mass. 
for no other reason, but they want to get her off the streets. She's got no place to go. Will you go pick her up? I said, sure, I will. So I went over there and her name, believe it or not, was Tracy Infantino. And I thought that was so strange, you know. <laughs> I put her in, we were renting an apartment at the time. I put it in her in my rented apartment. And before you know it, inside of two, three months, I had four girls there. Wow. Then my landlady was going out of her mind. She <laughs> says, they're not going to be here. I rented the place to you and Rick. You got to get them out of here. So from then on, I rented uh, either apartments or houses until the federal government came along and they uh, they got in touch with me. Yes, they, they do. Said, <laughs> yes. Yeah. And they, uh, they said that there was an army camp in Massachusetts that was going to break down. And they, they had a thing called the McKinney Act that stipulated if the, the government breaks down a base in full or in part, X amount of space has got to be given to the homeless. So I get this letter from them and say, Fort Devons is closing down. Here's all the buildings that are available. If you're interested, put in a letter of intent and a proposal. If we like it in 30 days, you will know, but you're going to have to wait for the army to get out of the base. And the cost a dollar a year. What? Yeah. A lease. So I leased 50 townhouses that the staff sergeants had. The post chapel worth $18 million on 20 and a half acres of land. We went through 100 families every year oh, for nine wow. years. I just got chills. I was the second largest in the country. The only one that beat me out was Bill Gates. Have you ever heard of him? Oh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> he was the only one that had a larger one than me. The only thing is then after nine years, the, the state stepped in, the land was given to the state and they didn't want me there. And so now I'm down a small one again, like before. But God says again, you have to have shelters in every state in the country. And I honestly believe I'm alive and well for that reason. Is that your next big project, Sylvia? That's my next big project. Looking for people that want a shelter in every state. And then turning, you know, I'll give them my 501c3, my nonprofit status and whatnot. Teach them what to do so that then when they're all set, I can go home. <laughs> And have a celebration party for all of the amazing work that you Yeah, have. right. <laughs> but you know, I am in perfect health. You know, one thing that I love, something that you say about the organization that you've created is that it's your magnificent obsession. And it is my magnificent obsession, yeah. I believe I believe that in life, whatever it is that we do, especially if it's our our business, right? Because we spend a lot of time working. It's just the way it is. But yeah. whatever it is that we do in life, when if we have that magnificent obsession, it gives us so much. It gives us better health. It gives us better, especially mental health, because we're doing something that is positive for the world or that gives us a good feeling. But it's also, it's that ripple effect because what you've done has changed the lives of so many people. And 
in turn, they're changing the lives of other people as well because they're here and they're thriving instead of just surviving on the streets. And so if you don't mind, t- talk, talk about that magnificent obsession and, and how that's kept you going through all of these years, all the ups and downs. I know there was probably plenty of downs as there were ups. Oh, well, I'll tell you, there are much more da- uh, ups than downs. Yes, you can imagine that there were sometimes there were problems. But believe it or not, I'm not kidding. I can truthfully say that I, I say 95% success rate, but I know it's more than that because I can remember the very troublesome ones and I don't even feel 10 head fingers. And every one of those that I couldn't help were because whatever the problem was stemmed from the time they were born. And how do you change something like that? I'll give you two instances so that you see what I mean. One girl came to me and I don't allow drugs. I don't allow boys in the house. I don't allow drinking. I'm very strict, like I would my own children. So anyway, this girl came in, she knew she couldn't have any drugs and she said she didn't have any drugs. But about a few weeks later, the girls at the house called me up. Sylvia, she fell down the stairs. And I said, what in the world happened? We took her to the hospital. When they took her to the hospital, they found out that she was addicted to morphine. Oh, wow. And because she wasn't taking any drugs, she had this this, uh, seizure, like, you know? So then we find out, the girls tell me, because she talked to the girl, her mother was a nurse, but her mother was on morphine all the time. She'd been on morphine for years. She was on morphine when she had the baby. The baby was born addicted addicted to morphine. So one time I, I didn't know what to do. This happened a couple of times. I also found out her father was a doctor. Uh, the doctor that would give her money for, for what she was, she needed. Also, he had a, a woman that was supposed to be a psychiatrist that really was just covering up for him. And because of that, she, he, from what I understand, he sexually was taking her from the time she was a baby. That's probably why the mother divorced him. But yet if she wanted money, she'd go to him and then he'd have sex with her all over again. And this is, how do you change something like that? So yeah. as a result, one time, I the third time around or something, I said, I'm going to bring you to mother's. Oh, she, in fact, she called me because I threw her out. She says, I've been sitting here in the uh, next to a, a garbage disposal near, near the, the uh, convenience store, she says, and that's where I slept all night. She says, can you take me to my mother's? I said, sure. So when I picked her up, I took her to her mother's. And as I was gone, I told her that I knew what was going on, you know, what had happened to her. I says, well, why don't you, why don't you ever tell the police or something, you know? And she didn't say much. I said, boy, when I take you home, I'm going to let your mother have it. She says, you're not going to see her. I says, why? She says, she goes to work 
at 11 o'clock at night and comes in at seven o'clock in the morning. She says when she leaves work, she, uh, she takes morphine. When she comes home, she goes to her second floor bedroom, she locks the door, she takes the phone off the hook, and she don't get up till it's time to get dressed to go to work again. Wow. So you're not going to see her. So sure enough, I get there, and she had a, a house of her own. She had this porch all around it, and luckily, because it was a hot, hot day, and I leaned on that for uh, that doorbell and I leaned on that doorbell and nothing happened. So the girl was right and I had to leave her on the porch. To this day, I still wonder what happened to that poor girl. Mm. She was the saddest thing. When she talked, she didn't talk like you and I. She whispered in a, in a whimper like. She was sounding like she was crying all the time. Oh, it was thing. the saddest thing you ever saw. So how could I possibly change anything like that? That's something that she has endured since probably since birth, right? Yes. And that's that has to break your heart because it does. It does. But then again, there's like I said, so so many others that are well. And I see them. And when you get to go to the graduation of a girl that just graduated from law school, do you know what that feels like? It is beautiful. It is beautiful. And yeah. not everybody made lawyers. There's hairdressers. They're, uh, they're everything. One is an office manager today. They all go about their business, but they all get on their feet. And it's a free, I keep them for two years. Wow. It isn't like for a day or two. Yes. I wait until they they can find a place to live and got a job and are well on their way. And still, I visit them sometimes after that, and they're still struggling, but they're working. And I find that it takes probably not two years, but five years before they're really up and at it, you know, getting. Yes. But if they have that, if they have that, those two years with you and knowing that they're that they're cared for or at least knowing that somebody cares about them i think that's that's a big part of it and then also they're not going to be apt to stay in an abusive relationship or to st to stay in a space that's not safe for them the main thing mm -hmm. is that there's is that they're safe and that they're respected as a human being and not just thrown out on the street mm -hmm. And I think that's that's huge. And it gives someone so much. Plus the the fact that it's, you know, your energy is all around them, <laughs> which is fantastic. So how do we make this how do we make this uh this dream of yours to have a Sylvia's Haven, to have a shelter like this um all across the country? How do we how do we go about that? Well, we gotta find people who wanna do the same thing. And then if they're interested in doing the same thing, yes, they're going to have to put out some money uh, like I did. The first two years, I put in $22,000 of my own money. But they can start small like I did. They can have them right in their own house if they want at first. And God, if, if, if they see that they, God, God sees that they're really serious, like me with Fort Devons, you never know what can come up out of it. And not only that, but people, you know, they, I used to go to like 
in this case where I, at first it was a pregnant girl, I'd go to pro-life meetings and whatnot. People know what they're doing. They're willing to give you money. They're willing to donate to you because they see that you're doing something good. Not so you've got to you've got to let people know where you are, what you're gonna do, and and things will fall into place if it's meant to be. Things will just fall into place. I love that and attitude. Think, yeah, it's, you know, it's so true. No, it is. It's absolutely true. You know, what? I have yeah. a I have a question because you you know you are you're 91 years young, and. I know that in addition to having this magnificent, uh, you know, passionate obsession that you have with helping people, that has helped you stay, you know, vibrant and healthy. But what other things have you done or what would kind of advice would you have for people so that they can be so full of life as they reach their 90s? Well, first of all, I have to admit, I've been studying nutrition for 33 years. I take vitamins galore. God gave us good food, but human beings have loused things up tremendously. Oh, oh you're speaking it. <laughs> so as a result, you have to put the vitamins back in your body that the food that you're eating really isn't supplying. Yes. And I mean for every part of your body. What I did was I bought a book at a at a nutrition place, and I read what the what the vitamins do and what they don't do, and the uh, symptoms and what they do and what they don't do. And I made my devised my own regimen. And you felt and you, you, you knew you reviewed what felt good. Like after you were taking them and you felt you were feeling good, you were like, "That's good for me. I like that." Right. That's right, exactly. So I, well, I, I started getting interested when my husband died at 61 years old with cancer. I wanted to know what it is. And when I started reading, the what I come up with after is basically poor nutrition can cause anything. Yeah. I think and poor nutrition, course, yeah, poor nutrition and also those thoughts that we have, right? Those stories. So the drug taking and whatnot. You've got to take care of yourself. Yeah. You've got to take care of yourself. And that I think is, is part of it too. So I, I, God takes care of me. I take care of myself and everything comes out fine. You know what, Sylvia? I have, um, I'm an intuitive business coach. I have, in addition to all the other stuff I do, one of the things is, is, is doing intuitive coaching. And I just got this major, I got a major hit. You should create a podcast for people in their 80s, 90s, and 100s. And just about tips on, and, and, you know, just talking about things that make you feel good and healthy and some, you know, some of the things. I think you would be a hit. I really do. <laughs> <laughs> I think you would be so wonderful. Um, you know, this, the, I had, I had kind of allured to the, uh, mentioned the, not only the things that we put in our bodies, but also those things that we put in our mind. And right. you're a perfect example of someone who, you know, you could have, you could have said, look, I've had a, you know, really horrible childhood, really rough childhood. I'm just going to think about me. Or you could have also with your own children, it done those things that were done upon you as as we see in society it happens what what was it within you that didn't go that way 
In other words, what was it within that little girl that said, this is the wrong way to treat a human being. And when I get older and I have children, I'm going to treat them with love and respect. Oh, yeah. Well, uh, you know what it is? Because my father was the way he was, it was like I had to show him that, you know, he wasn't going to belittle me, you know, and he was a very belittling person. My mother and me, he belittled us something terrible. And I really think it was his own insecurity. It made him feel good. Yes. Now yes. that I'm older, you know, and I, I look at these things, he needed that insecure, that that feeling of, you know, I'm yes. big, you know. I'm, but I, I was determined to show him otherwise. In fact, when I, when I had, when my children were growing up and he seen what I was doing and whatnot, he says, huh. he says, you bring a kid into this world and they grow up smarter than you are. And I just looked at that. He says, I didn't say another word. You know, I said, you said it. But, you know, that's the thing that drove me. So, you know, it wasn't all bad. If he had, exactly. you know, coddled me or something, maybe I wouldn't have had that ambition. But yes. I just had to show him. I had to show everybody. I could do it. I could do it. I could do it. And I just kept going. Like when my kid, when I got a divorce, I'm thinking to myself, how in the world am I going to bring up these kids in the mortgage too with only my pay? I was Three only kids. working in an office. Three kids. <laughs> Three kids. <laughs> and, and one of them today is a millionaire. Oh, Oh, Sylvia, <laughs> you, you done good. <laughs> and and also back now, I don't know what year that would be, but I am assuming you being 91 and if you're having three little children that this was in a time too when there were not a whole lot of opportunities for women. I mean, <laughs> absolutely. That was it. I was working in an office like in, in many offices as the secretary or our assistants or our executive assistants, whatever you want to call them. And that was a good job. Like, for instance, I was working at Raytheon and I was in the microwave and power tube division. And my boss, I was the assistant to a buyer that bought the parts for the microwave. He went to his, his daughter got married and she went to New York to live and she had a baby and he went and took two weeks off i ran the show i oh. was making fifty dollars a week he was making fifty thousand a year <laughs> you okay. have just told the story of so many women in right in the in the 40s 50s and 60s you have just and and made him look good and you probably did a better job than he did <laughs> yeah. well i know that they they uh the uh, office managers and the secretary were, were amazed. They go, well, wow, you did everything, you know. But the, our, the end of the results was that because I was so good, I, I got laid off. He, oh. The man was in there politically in touch with the right people. He had the office manager that praised me and whatnot and the, his secretary fired. And then he had, they laid me off. They couldn't fire me. They had nothing to fire me, but that's how it Bastard. <laughs> <laughs> See? And sometimes it doesn't pay to be so good. 
But how many but people? Then, how many people has he helped through his lifetime? Come on now. Yeah, <laughs> not right, over right. eleven hundred people like you. <laughs> and then, and and the the legacy of the work that you've done too, is that it gives hope to to people in a really bad situation like you were found like you found yourself with three kids. Uh, I'm curious when when these women would come to you um obviously homeless m many of the of them homeless they they probably had needed some type of mental health as well um and guidance and i just oh, wondered yeah. yeah i was wondering how how you went ab about that or if you sought out um help from outside of the the shelter well um uh when I was at Fort Devens, I actually had an office for um, people, uh, psych, uh, psychologists that would come in and interview the girls and see, you know, try to help them that way. And of course, I would try too, and or I would direct them in the way they would go. But really, they really need the love more than anything else. And in my book, Till the End of Time, at the end of it, I've got a whole chapter of all testimonials from the girls. Not all of them. I would have to build. You have 10,000 books, yeah. But one, one, one chapter is all of testimonials. Plus, I've got others, you know, in there, here and there, telling of the ones that were kind of exceptional to me. Well, we're going to make sure that we have links to your book. It's Till the End of Time by Sylvia Anthony, not only an incredible author, and also you were uh, inducted into the National Women's Hall of Fame just right. earlier this year. That is that is amazing. But uh, I just I I just I had to have you on the show because I I resonated with you. I felt a connection with you, and I just wanted to share your beautiful energy with my listeners and the viewers on YouTube. So I want to thank you so much. We're gonna put the link so people can get the book, and if they want to reach out to you and contact you, do you have a way for them to do that? I uh, well uh, put. In the book, there's there's all of the ways to get a hold of me and whatnot. Excellent. But um, still, uh, get my my email. You know my email, don't yes, you? Love. Yes, love. Put yes. my email up there. Put my name up there. My my address, if you want. My phone number. No, no, no. I'm gonna no, no, no. We don't want to have too many people calling you. Emailing yeah, right. is best. <laughs> okay. All right. So that's this fine. is gonna go that's all over the world. <laughs> this is gonna go all over right. the place. Question, uh, did you know too that I got another award after the uh, National Women's Hall of Fame? No. Three weeks later, have you ever heard of Marquis Who's Who? I've heard of it. Okay, well, it's it, it, it lists people that, uh, that do things and whatnot by the million. Well, they sent, gave me an award three months later. Oh. And it was... It was what they call a Lifetime Achievement Award. Ah, uh, that and, is uh, beautiful. Yeah, and they, they sent me two books. They're the same, but that was the, the award. There were 180 people from all over the world that they picked out of the millions that they knew. And they put me on page 49 and 50 and they sent me the book. Uh, so, uh, that was so. They so know. You see? Yeah. 
<laughs> they do a good yeah. thing when they see one. Yeah, but God is good. God is good. It, it people, you know, it's with people like you that get an interest that actually help me, and they keep me going. You keep me going because, you know, you you look at life and you say life is worth living. Yes, it is. It really is. Yes, it is. Take the the bull by the horn, so to speak, and and do what you want to do. You know. I love your. I love that. I take the take the bull by the horns and get going with life. <laughs> You're right. <laughs> well, I know you've inspired so many people uh, that are listening to this podcast or watching it on YouTube, and you've inspired me as well. I, I I'm like. Oh my goodness, I got to get going. There's a lot of things I got to get done. <laughs> and and I just I I I hope that I have as half as much life and energy and life force in me when I reach 91 years old. Uh, young, sorry, 91 years young. Yeah. Uh, myself. Now, don't forget take all the vitamins you can. I'm going to I'm doing it. I got Here's a here's a good thing too. Slippery elm. Look that up, Sylvia. Slippery yeah, elm. Yeah. It's amazing. <laughs> yeah, but that's only care. one thing. You need it for every part of your body. Okay, then, mom. <laughs> okay. Yes. All right. <laughs> Sylvia, thank you so very much for joining me today and being on Out of the Box with Christine. And listeners, make sure that you check the show notes. I will have a link to Sylvia's book and also a way for you to contact her. If you are inspired, if you want to do something like Sylvia has done and help change the lives of so many people that are in really desperate need right now, you can do it. Be the change that you want to see in the world is a very famous quote. I believe that's from Gandhi. If you want to be the change that uh, that you see in the world, this is a great way to start and reach out to Sylvia Anthony, my guest today. Thank you, love. And you're welcome back anytime you want. You just let me know, okay? Okay. Okay. Right. Thank you. <laughs> Bye, thank love. You and thank you, wonderful listeners, for tuning in today. Remember, you can subscribe to this podcast show and you can subscribe to the YouTube channel so you can see beautiful Sylvia in all of her glory. And until next time, as always, I want you to remember to think outside of that damn box. Bye for now.